0: The question is when you wake up in the morning and there's nobody else around are you are you happy and are you good to yourself or is are you saying that i'm a kind person because you're always there for other people and you're happy because you go out drinking or you buy something online these are all things that make us happy it's just not very long term people need to really sit and think in your soul is your soul happy do you wake up excited by the day when you go and do a trivial act. I used to clean the house and be a bit resentful about doing it going, oh, I've got to clean the house. Now I put my headphones on, I've got a house cleaning playlist. I turn it on full blast and I am dancing and jumping up and down and making my house clean, not because I have to, but because I love myself so much. I want to sit in a beautiful clean house because it's nice to me and it makes me happy. It's like, it changes everything. You know, when you walk your dog, are you walking your dog and looking at your phone or thinking, God, I need to go home and doing this and this and this? Or are you looking at the sky? Are you interacting with your dog? Are you playing with your dog? Are you hugging the trees? You know, there's not one thing I don't do now from a place of joy and kindness. And that's not to say that you can't feel negative emotions. I still get sad, angry, anxious, But because I give myself permission to feel those things instead of numb them, they never last for long. I know how to feel them in the right way now.
1: Welcome visionaries, creators, innovators, entrepreneurs, leaders, and growth seekers of all types to the Passion Struck Podcast. Hi, I'm John Miles, a peak performance coach, multi-industry CEO, Navy veteran, and entrepreneur on a mission to make passion go viral for millions worldwide. And each week, I do so by sharing with you an inspirational message in interviewing high achievers from all walks of life to unlock their secrets and lessons to becoming action struck. The purpose of our show is to serve you, the listener, by giving you tips, tasks, and activities you can use to achieve peak performance and pursue passion-driven life you have always wanted to have. Now, let's become passion struck. Welcome to today's episode of the passion struck podcast. I'm going to start today's episode out with a quote from Derek Kurtz who's a cancer survivor and author of the book, Fresh Cancer. And I found one of her quotes from this book, truly really inspirational and a great setup for our discussion today. In it, she says, my life will never be the same after my experience. And truth be told, I don't want it to be. The fears I faced, the growth I had, and the gratitude I learned from my experience is something I never want to forget. It's the something good that came out of the something bad. The important things in life become crystal clear when you hear the C word. When you're forced to look into the eyes of your kids and tell them you've been diagnosed with cancer, it gets pretty real but with the realness comes a deep sense of clarity that i hope will travel with me throughout the rest of my life and that quote is very important because today's guest on the passion Strike podcast is sethia lightstar someone whom i met while i was researching authors of cancer books as my own sister was battling pancreatic cancer and in today's discussion Saskia is gonna talk to you about what her life was like prior to the cancer diagnosis, how she was living her life and the ultimate change that cancer brought and why she feels it's such a blessing in her life. We talk about the importance of kindness and that kindness to yourself is where it all needs to start. And through that kindness, how you can rebuild so much of the life and existence that you have. He talks about how do you make that initial choice and then after it, what are the steps that you take to taking your life from that point where you want it to be and how the universe and the law of attraction plays its part. Now, let me tell you a little bit more about Saskia Lightstar. She is a cancer misfit, spiritual teacher, well-being and happiness coach and a very inspirational speaker. She screwed up everything in her life to get to where she is at today. And she'll tell you it took a lot of mistakes, failed businesses, divorces, and ultimately being diagnosed with cancer. That led for her to find the willingness to venture down a spiritual path and become the happiest and greatest version of herself she has ever known. After her treatment for breast cancer ended in 2013, she found herself struggling to move on. She had beaten cancer only to feel stuck and lost in a no man's land between who she was before the diagnosis and who she had become as a consequence of surviving the hell of treatment. She felt like a cancer misfit, healed physically, but struggling mentally and emotionally with the trauma she endured. Saskia made it life purpose to make sure that no other cancer survivor would feel alone and lost in the darkness after treatment as she did. She wrote her book, The Cancer Misfit, as a guide to navigate life after treatment. She calls it a life raft for the next step of the journey because most people, doctors included, seem to believe that the cancer journey ends when the treatment does. But for many, that is when the struggle starts. Plagued by self-hate in self-low esteem for most of her life. Saskia has now found a happiness that you will hear about today And self-love. She guides others now on how they also can be happier than they even dreamt possible. She is a testament to the fact you can feel lost or less than and still find a way to that place of happiness, confidence, and peace. Saskia calls herself a proud misfit, a non-conformist, Brimming with optimism and a joy that's contagious. She can be usually found roaming the forests of London with her French bulldog, Barnaby French, who you'll meet as well on today's show. Now, let our journey begin. I am absolutely thrilled today to have Saskia Lightstar with me on the Passion Struck podcast. Saskia, it's so great to finally meet you in person.
0: It's lovely to meet you too, John.
1: Well, I'm thrilled to have you on the show and for the listeners or watchers, the way that I found Saskia is I was researching for books on cancer survival and more importantly, as you're going through cancer, you know, how does it impact you and what do you do once you get that diagnosis and then once you've gotten it and you're living with cancer? you know, how do you deal with it? Uh, Because someone close to me, my sister um, is currently going through cancer. And that's how I found the book that you wrote. And while I was researching the book, I found a quote that I ended up using led into an episode I did on the power of choice perfectly, because whether it's fighting cancer, or making the choice that you're going to do something different in your life, life is all about choices. And so I thought that maybe that was a good starting point for us today. We talked about before the show, you were living in South Africa, and I think maybe it's good for the listeners and and viewers to understand, you know, what was your life like before you got the cancer determination? And then we'll use that as kind of the starting point to then discuss what happened after it and then over time, how your life has changed.
0: So I was living in South Africa. This was 2012 and I had a surfwear label that I was running in South Africa and I had a very party girl, airhead superficial life. My existence revolved around going to trendy places, being with cool people, having good looking boyfriends, buying designer shoes. And I looked on the outside like I was living this really amazing life, but really inside I was not happy. I had very low self-esteem. I had insecurity issues. I'd been battling an eating disorder for a lot of my life. And I think I was sort of trying to project this perfect life to the world that wasn't real at all. So then I was diagnosed with stage three breast cancer. It's like the whole facade came tumbling down. And I was forced to take a look at my life, even though I tried so hard to pretend everything was perfect.
1: Yeah. And I think that there are a lot of people who are in that same situation. And how do you think people get trapped into this? Do you think it's a fear of missing out? Is it want to be part of what appears to be the cool crowd how do people get into this realm where you know they're living the life that you were at that point
0: i don't even think it's about the trendy places and 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 the fear of missing out i think it's the fact that we all try in our own ways to numb out what's really going on for us because of a lifetime of conditioning that's told us it's not really okay to express what's really going on for you, especially I was born British. So, you know, we've got this whole stiff upper lip thing. I went to very authoritarian boarding school. You weren't allowed to express your emotions doing inner work. When I was growing up, that wasn't a thing. Nowadays, I think for the younger generations, they're very lucky because there's so much about mental health and they're given a space to say, you know what, it's okay for you to feel insecure. It's okay for you to be battling with your life. And I think whether it's alcoholism, whether it's partying, whether it's online shopping, we all find our tools and our methods to deny or just pretend so we don't have to look at what's really going on.
1: Right. And, and so for you, you get hit with this diagnosis. And did you feel at that point that something was wrong? Or did you just happen to go in for a checkup? And it was just hot at that moment? What, what were the events like leading up to it?
0: I had no idea when I got diagnosed, it was like I got hit by a freight train. I'd found a lump about a year earlier, I'd gone to get it checked out. It was benign. And my boyfriend at the time said, you might as well just get it removed. So I went to see a specialist just to say, listen, I want to get this benign lump removed. And she did not have a good bedside manner because she said, well, that's fine. I'm just wondering, I'm just worried about the cancerous tumor next to it. And that's how I found out. And because it was such a high stage, it was within a week I was in the hospital and I was having my my left breast removed. In hindsight, and this is my own personal experience I know I believe I know why I got cancer because I remember you know I really battled an eating disorder for 15 years uh, bulimia anorexia and I used to think and say out loud and at the time I meant it that I would rather get cancer than get fat that was how stuck in the disease of this eating disorder I was And I do believe that the universe hears us and it's all the law of attraction and what we put out and what we think and what we believe is essentially what we are going to bring back to us. And I kept saying it. So to be honest, I couldn't really be surprised that I got it. It was almost like I asked for it.
1: Those disorders that you had before it are are terrible disorders. And I think they're similar in in some ways to someone who's got PTSD or other invisible illnesses, because on the outside person who doesn't know that you have, it probably would not see it. And Mm. for you, were you doing it because insecurities by how you looked or was it more, was it more inner than that? Even as well.
0: People with eating disorders think it's about our physical appearance, but it's about the pain that we're feeling within and, not wanting to feel that pain and basically you know an eating disorder is considered an addiction it's a behavioral addiction rather than a chemical addiction but it's no different to alcoholism or drug addictions or anything else again it's just a way of coping with negative emotion if you project it all onto how much you eat and control your weight and it it's almost like again you're distracting yourself from what's really going on but because mine was an eating disorder so Everything was very physical obsessed for me when the cancer took one breast and all my hair, which was the two things that I thought gave me my self-worth, you know, Mm -hmm. it was my great cleavage and my great hair. I couldn't hide behind physical appearance anymore. I had to look within. I gave myself self-worth from outside appearance when I didn't have that. I had to look within and try and find worth from somewhere else.
1: Okay. And if someone at this point in time, before you had the cancer knew you, how would they have described you? Like if they met you when you were out um, at a club or at a bar or something like that, were you kind of like the life of the party?
0: Very, very, very much the life of the party, the instigator of all the fun, but at the same time, very selfish, very self-centered. The whole world revolved around me,
1: So when you were going through this, did you do it in South Africa or did you come back for treatment to the United Kingdom?
0: No, I did. the. I had my um, cancer treatment in South Africa.
1: You were with this group of friends that you thought you had at that time. What was their reaction like and more importantly, support system like as you were going through this? Did you find that people you thought were friends weren't or how did that manifest itself?
0: It's interesting. For a long time, I did think that. I thought that the friends I thought I had weren't my friends because I suddenly got this diagnosis and the party friends disappeared. But in hindsight, cancer is a really scary thing. And I think it's such a big thing that a lot of people don't know how to cope with it. And sometimes people don't cope in the best way, but it doesn't mean they're bad people. Fear makes us do strange things. And I think now when I look back, a lot of people just because I was this extreme party person and suddenly I was this shell of my former self, you know, bald, hiding at home, covering up all my mirrors, like I think it was maybe too much for people. Uh, I was very lucky. My mum flew out from the UK and lived with me for six months and helped me through treatment. But it felt like a very lonely time. But I think more than anything, that's because it doesn't matter if you're surrounded by 100 people when you're going through cancer treatment. It's such a personal experience. And as much as people offer their support, it's so personal, you know, that you essentially are still going through it by yourself.
1: Well, I mean, having been in the room with someone who's getting chemotherapy, oftentimes they don't want another person in the room, but it, you know, it, it is a personal thing because you're, you're having to live with the repercussions of it and how you feel afterwards, etc. And, you know, it's hard to express to someone who's not gone through it, what, what that's like um, in any way. I, um, and I think, as we talked about before the show um, you know, my sister's going through this right now and, is currently on her third round of hopefully her last six chemos. But she's on uh, an extremely powerful one because she has pancreatic cancer. Hopefully they've gotten rid of all the cells, but they're trying to do the most robust that they possibly can. And for her, it completely wipes her out for about a, a, a week. Um, and luckily, they're doing it in two week segments. But you know, I think she feels isolation because when she's going through that, you know, she feels so bad, there's times she can't even barely get out of bed, um, etc., cetera, um, and feels constant fatigue, things that I'm sure you went through as well.
0: I think it's also important to note that it's equally hard for you, for, for the people around the cancer patient, because you're watching your sister go through this, and I'm sure you want to be able to say something and know what to say, but it's so impossibly hard to work out what that is, you know? And I think we, we place so much attention on the, on the patient, the person going through it. But I think it's important also to acknowledge that the people that love that person also are, are going through it and so helpless because there is nothing they can say.
1: Well, I, in my case, you know, I'm one of these people who just can't sit back and just watch So. I remember after hearing her on the phone going to this appointment and, you know, she had not been feeling well for a couple of weeks up to this, but she thought she had, you know, maybe a, a bile duct issue. And then, you know, when you get the words, you've got pancreatic cancer, you know, your life flashes in front of you because the odds, especially with that cancer are, are not yeah. good. Um, and I felt helpless. So the, what I started to do was just all kinds of research. I, call it in, in pancreatic cancer, because I started reading everything I could, you know, which is how I found your book and you, but also, uh, you know, how do you change your eating habits? I I went, one of the first things I did is, you know, I was lucky a couple of years ago to interview uh, a doctor named Stephen Gundry, who is one of the foremost experts in the world on uh, gut health. And so, you know, sometimes God, I think puts people in your lives for a certain reason. So I went directly to him and I said, you know, what should she change about her diet? And he goes, buy my book, tell her to read these two chapters. And so she changed her diet. Then I found, you know, homeopathic then, but I, but I hear exactly what you're saying because there was nothing I could do to help her. But I think, you know, because she was willing to let the universe help her, it, it ended up doing it and it's ended up saving her life. So I completely agree with what you said about the law of attraction. I actually did an episode on it, and I focused on some of the positive things. You know, you could look at skier Lindsey Vaughn, Will Smith, the actor, Conor McGregor, the, the fighter, Oprah Winfrey, you know, who all believe in their success is tied to the law of attraction. But as you brought out as well, if you are bringing negativity in your life, what do you think you're going to get? In return, negativity. Yeah. So you you get the cancer diagnosis. You're going through it, and sometimes people think, you know, once they've had cancer, it's 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 over. Through that quote that I read to you, and, and is was in the intro to the show. She said that one of the things that she wanted to focus on is to make sure she remembered the feeling of what it was like to have cancer and to have that change that it caused. In her be a lifelong aspect now is that something that you felt the same way about and is that part of the reason you wrote the book
0: no so i wrote the book the cancer misfit because what i went through i couldn't find a book about so from from my experience when i was diagnosed with cancer i describe it as i went into automatic i went into survival mode like My emotions shut off. It was like, okay, I've got cancer. I don't want to die. What do I do? And it was just, it was almost like I was a robot. And I just did what I had to do. And I remember everyone going, God, you're so brave. And it wasn't that I was brave, it was just that I was numb and I wasn't feeling anything. And then the treatment ended and the doctor said, right, the treatment's over. You can go back to normal. So I did that because I thought, you know, I'm going to do what the doctor told me. And I tried to go back to normal. But there's no going back after cancer. And there is sure as hell no normal after cancer. So my battle was after treatment. I'd lost sense of who I was. I didn't know how to move on. My life had been cancer treatment for two years. It had revolved around that. Suddenly, that was gone. And it was like, no doctor tells you what comes next. Nobody prepares you. Nobody says to you, listen, you might suddenly get overcome with emotion, nothing. Treatment finishes, I go back to my life. I get, suddenly, I'm not in survival mode anymore. And I get the tsunami of emotions that just knock me off my feet. And I fell into a deep, deep depression after cancer. I would look, life after tra- uh, treatment, support after treatment, and I couldn't find anything. There's so much for when you're diagnosed and you're going through it. And then suddenly, just because you've finished the treatment, it's like, you're done. So my book is to catch survivors for that bit. When you don't know what's next or how you're feeling or who you are anymore, that's why I wrote the book. It was a good two or three years that I was quite a lost soul. Maybe two years, I'd say. And it was that rock bottom for me that made me think, okay, you know what? I need to find a way out of this. And that's when my journey really began.
1: And so when you were hitting that rock bottom, what were some of the thoughts that were going through your head? Like, what were you telling yourself in that moment before you made the choice that you were going to do something different?
0: I'd wake up every morning so disappointed that I'd woken up. I would just wish that my life was over. I didn't see any point of living. I thought I was convinced the best years of my life were before cancer when I was this beautiful bombshell living this crazy rock and roll life and anything that was going to come afterwards was just going to be mediocre and nothing.
1: And so what was the impetus that caused you to make the choice? And then for you, what was that moment like when you decided, you know, I'm going to do things differently? How did that manifest itself?
0: I suppose really it was baby steps. The beginning which I I always tell my coaching clients is I just found the willingness. I just found the willingness. I just said, okay, you know what? I'm going to be willing to try something to turn my life around. And literally started with a book by Louise Hay. To me, she's like the self-help pioneer. And I read her book, You Can Heal Your Life. And I think that was sort of the very beginning of my journey into things, mind, body, spirit, wellness, spirituality. And that was just my first step on the spiritual path. And I've never taken my foot off that path ever since. And that was probably what, six years ago, five years ago.
1: So the motto I use for the show is I say, you have to make a choice, work hard and every day and step into your sharp edges, do things each day that scare you. So for you, you made that choice. I like how you said you, you never took your foot off the pedal, but I'm sure as you were taking those steps, you started running into some things either you didn't like about yourself or fears you had or other things that were scary for you. What, what were some of those that the listeners you know, could relate to that you had to deal with and how did you go about that?
0: Wow, so many. I think the biggest one for me was overcoming how I felt about myself. So, what I would do is, and this was one of the things that Louise Hay teaches, and it's called mirror work. And when I first started doing it, it felt like a load of crap. It it felt insincere. I felt like I was lying. I literally would take a hand mirror every morning and I would look at myself in the mirror, not at my imperfections and the way my bags were under my eyes, but into my soul, into my eyes. And I would say, Saskia, I love you. I really, really love you. At the beginning, for the first few weeks, I just cried because I'd never said a kind thing to myself in my life. Say lovely things to everyone else, never, never told myself I love myself. And that was such a huge journey for me because I have never stopped saying that for the past five years. I've said it every morning to the point where I've literally rewired my brain and I literally am head over heels in love with exactly who I am. And to go from somebody who, you know, had an eating disorder and self-harmed because of the self-hate, who now adores the ground she walks on and would never do anything to her herself. It's proof that these things, like you said, it's so essential that you integrate something into your life every day. You're not ever going to read a self-help book or listen to a podcast and go, cool, I've got the answer. My life's going to be great now. It's not going to right. happen. You might feel that way for the first week after you've read a brilliant self-help book. But unless you implement the things that they tell you every day, it's like anything. It's like if you go to the gym and you get your perfect body and you work out and you get your perfect body, you don't suddenly go, well, I've got a perfect body now. I don't need to go to the gym anymore. You've got to keep maintaining it. It's the same thing. My spiritual practice is as important to me every day as brushing my teeth and because i have that i don't get overwhelmed by fear anymore i don't even know what self-hate is i have self-acceptance i have confidence i have serenity i have joy i have all these things because of the work i do in my life every day
1: and how has it impacted who you allow into your life and has that changed
0: yeah absolutely boundaries i learned boundaries i love boundaries I learned how to say no with loving kindness. Didn't even know that you could. I was such a people pleaser. I was so insecure. I said yes to everyone. And now I say no because I learned I have to be number one on the list of my priorities, not in a selfish way, but it's like in the airplane, they say, put your life jacket on first. You can't be there for anyone else if you're not at your best. So. I put down the boundaries to make sure I am my best and then everyone around me benefits all the more from that. You know, there are so many just amazing tools and tricks that I've learned now that I lit- I don't even know who that human being was before cancer. It's like, it's a stranger that I definitely wasn't or had anything to do with.
1: Did you know that Forbes magazine recently cited that 70% of individuals even personal development masterminds and one-on-one coaching benefited from better work performance increased communication skills and overall better relationships and we at passionstruck are obsessed with self-development coaching and mentorship that is why we've created a free resource to help you unlock your hidden potential because people doing great things in business and life are just like you only they've had a coach along the way, and we've got that covered too. Let us show you the systems and frameworks that we teach growth-minded individuals to help them step into their sharp edges, execute on their passion journeys, and get predictable results time and time again. Go to passionstruck.com slash coaching right now, and let's get igniting. If you were to tell a listener, your life before to your life now, now that you've embraced this new chapter, how, how is life different and, and sure. more positive for you?
0: It sounds dramatic and extreme, but I used to live in hell and now I live in heaven. I'm a happiness coach. My Instagram just exudes joy. I'm literally just doing videos to tell people how to be happy and just spreading the joy that I'm feeling. I'm free. I'm not held back by all that stuff that used to weigh me down. And because I believe in myself, and I now believe anything is possible, crazily as it is, I read that Louise Hay book, and now I am an author of Hay House, her publishing house. I'm one of the authors that's That's the turnaround I did. You know, I didn't think I would accomplish or amount to anything. I thought especially with the cancer. And now I've completely transformed my life. And what I want your listeners or viewers to know is everyone can have a second chance. We all can do it. You can turn your life around. It doesn't matter what you've been through. Because if, if I could, after all the crap and how I was just really a waste of space, that I've become an established coach and a Hay House author, and happy, if I can do it, anyone can. And I want to inspire other people and give them hope because essentially all you need is hope.
1: Well, that's great. And for those who may be listening or watching the podcast for the first time, um, I do these interviews that we put out on Tuesdays. And then on Fridays, I do personal messages that I call Momentum Fridays, and the very first episode I ever did um, after the origin episode was on the concept of you have to first take that step of addressing the brutal reality of whatever is going on in your life. And I used the backdrop of um, an American uh, famous admiral named Admiral James Stockdale, who spent you know seven plus years in the Hanoi Hilton medal of honor winner, constantly tortured, tortured himself. Yet uh, when I was at the Naval Academy, you know, he spoke to us and he said, you know, in retrospect, it's the same thing Senator John McCain said as well. They felt that that captivity was the best thing that ever happened to them. And oftentimes that's what cancer victims or people who've had serious illnesses say as well, because it forever changes the outlook and how they live their life. But yeah. until you're willing to face that brutal reality of what whatever is going on, whether it's an eating disorder, or a drinking issue, you living a fake life, what, whatever it is, until you're willing to face it, which is why I made it the first episode, the other things can't happen. So, you know, the next thing to me is you got to make that choice. Mm-hmm. And you've done both. And, you know, I think it's important for the listeners to hear is the other side of it is a life that you never thought you you could possibly have. And you're now accomplishing things that you never would have thought possible before. So if, if a listener is out there and they're kind of sitting back and going, you know, this sounds like a, a lot, what would you tell them is like the starting point? Like, how do you, you know, how do you get to that moment where you start telling yourself, I love you. I mean, that does it take reaching a low or, Do you think someone can start today regardless of where they're at in their
0: life? It doesn't matter where you're at, for sure. And what people have to realize is, unfortunately, in the world we live in, we've been spoiled. So we all expect instant gratification. Now you can just push by now. And by the next day, you receive what you wanted. Transforming your inside and how you feel about yourself doesn't work like that. People stay in their comfort zone. The thing is, is happiness is right on the edge of your comfort zone. It's not very far out. It's like a tiptoe step out. But that's what people have to realize. So yes, at the beginning, when you brush your teeth in the morning, and then you look in the mirror and say, I love you, your name. I really, really love you. You are going to feel like an idiot. You're going to feel incredibly uncomfortable. And you're going to feel like you're lying to yourself. But if you are persistent and don't give up and keep doing it, every day one day whether it be a month down the line or five months down the line you're going to suddenly go
1: get ready to supercharge your hiring experience with indeed our fantastic partner we at passionstruck are all about seeking smarter more efficient ways to do things and indeed perfectly aligns with this philosophy when it comes to hiring it's more than just a job site it's a comprehensive platform. Just go to Indeed.com slash Passionstruck right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Passionstruck. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I know all those discount codes are difficult to remember, so we put them all at Passionstruck.com slash deals. Now back to Passionstruck.
0: Okay, I'm actually okay with saying that. And then from there, maybe another month down the line or another four months down the line, you're going to look in the mirror and go, wow, actually, you know what? I really dig myself. And it just builds and builds and builds. That's the thing. You can start anywhere. You can start with a self-help book. As long as you, you know, 10 minutes of meditation a day. And if you're not into meditation, that's cool. We all have our own toolbox of what works for us. And I always say that to my clients. We go through different tools so they can find what works for them and use that.
1: Well, I think that's great and i tell my clients many of the same things because we're each different and you've got to find what works for you. Yeah. So now that you went through this and you wrote the book, what is the one thing or maybe handful of things that has really helped you ignite this new career that you have? What's caused it to to unleash itself in the way in the way that it has for you?
0: I've connected myself to everything through meditation through my spiritual practice, the law of attraction, believing, trusting, having faith. I think what's very important is you have to have a, something that you believe in, whether that's God, you don't have to be religious. It could be mother earth, it could be the universe. But I think everyone, we're so isolated and separate. And I think everyone has to have a power bigger than themselves that they can connect to so that when they're struggling, they always have this, this source to tap into and to reach out to. I think that's very important. Self-belief, more than anything. Because if you don't believe in yourself, how do you ever expect anybody else to? And the only reason I got that publishing deal was because I believed I would. That's it. I'm not the most incredible writer in the world, but I believed. And if you can't afford to let some seed of doubt, that inner critic is lying to you. My inner critic used to rule my life. Everything. You sound like an idiot. You'll never amount to anything. You look crap in what you're wearing. I don't even hear my inner critic anymore because I know my inner critic is a liar and I don't have to pay any attention to it. So if anyone out there, if you want to be somebody, if you want to do something, don't let your inner critic sabotage that. Just tell your inner critic to bugger off Tune into your heart and keep doing what you want to do. Keep believing in yourself and you will make it happen.
1: Yes, I was recently taking a course that went from February to the end of May. And it was with Lord State's School of Business. And we were lucky enough to have a lady who came and talked to us at the beginning of each class. And when she gave her title and said she was a kindness coach, I kind of took a step back and said, what the heck is a kindness coach? But uh, as I got through her framework, you know, over the six, seven different weeks that she came in and talked to us, many of it parallels to your story because, you know, as she talked about her framework, first person you have to be kind to is yourself. Because if you're not kind to yourself, it's going to be very difficult to be kind Mm -hmm. to others. And, you know, part of the exercises that she started to make us do was to do random acts of kindness, first for yourself and then to others, then in the way that you were even doing Instagram or Facebook posts. Because, you you know, I I think one of the things that she pointed out very clearly is that so much of what's out there is done through ego or showmanship, instead of true kindness. Because one of my favorite quotes she said is, when you do an act of kindness, to get someone to do something for you, it's showmanship kind of stuck with me because how often are people kind to you because they want something instead of 100%. truly being kind for the, the sake of kindness for you know, the reason it's supposed to be. But I think, you know, your story is so beautiful because you became kind with yourself and through that, it's even allowed you, as you said earlier, to change the narrative Or even when you're saying no, you're doing it, through kindness, not through mean spiritedness, and yeah. I, so I think that that's a very important lesson uh, for all the listeners out there. If you had something that you were going to say on the importance of kindness. What 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 would it be?
0: Well, I think I do what I do now for a living, and I have my career now because I have found such happiness and peace that it is my duty to help other people experience it as well and I think we all assume that we know what it means to be kind and to be happy but if you're not looking within then the kindness and happiness that you think the question is when you wake up in the morning and there's nobody else around are you are you happy and are you good to yourself or is are you saying that I'm a kind person because you're always there for other people and you're happy because you go out drinking or you buy something online? These are all things that make us happy. It's just not very long term. People need to really sit and think in your soul. Is your soul happy? Do you wake up excited by the day when you go and do a trivial act. I used to clean the house and be a bit resentful about doing it going, oh, I've got to clean the house. Now I put my headphones on, I've got a house cleaning playlist. I turn it on full blast and I am dancing and jumping up and down and making my house clean, not because I have to, but because I love myself so much. I want to sit in a beautiful clean house because it's nice to me and it makes me happy. It's like, it changes everything. You know, when you walk your dog, are you walking your dog and looking at your phone or thinking, God, I need to go home and doing this and this and this? Or are you looking at the sky? Are you interacting with your dog? Are you playing with your dog? Are you hugging the trees? You know, there's not one thing I don't do now from a place of joy and kindness. And that's not to say that you can't feel negative emotions. I still get sad, angry, anxious, but because I give myself permission to feel those things instead of numb them, they never last for long. I know how to feel them in the right way now, if that makes any sense. No,
1: it makes perfect sense. I did an episode as well on something that I call the mosquito principle. I think we need to do mosquito audits in our life. and I, I call the three mosquitoes you know, the things that are a pain in the ass, the things that are bloodsuckers, or the things that are suffocators, invisible suffocators in your life. And they're not only people, they're activities, influences, other things that you do that, whether it's knowingly or unknowingly are taking away from the life you could be, you could be leading. And for you, if you had to think about that mosquito audit, what is something that you've removed from your life that's actually made you happier or more productive that others could learn from?
0: I don't believe in restriction. I believe in moderation, for sure. For example, I don't really have a lot of sugar or refined flour now as a cancer survivor, but if I fancy an ice cream, I'm going to treat myself and make myself very happy and have an ice cream. If somebody is unkind to me, I don't cut them out of my life because people have bad days, but I also don't have to stand there and take it either. And I've learned that I am allowed to put myself first and walk away from a situation. If somebody's provocative and trying to start an argument, the old me would react. And now I don't react. I'm just like, okay, you know what? I'm going to step out. We can talk about this tomorrow. I don't drink as much alcohol, but I didn't deliberately choose to do any of these things. I think because I became happier and more at peace, it all naturally, I find, undoes itself. If you just do these little things every day, I don't believe you have to consciously go, okay, well, this isn't working for me, so I have to cut it out. Once you build trust with God or the universe or whatever it is and say, God, universe, this part of my life doesn't work for me. I don't know what to do. And you trust, the universe takes care of it for you. Because I think, the, I believe very strongly as we're all so busy trying to control our lives But we don't necessarily know what's right or wrong for ourselves because we have no perspective. We are us. We don't step outside ourselves to see the whole picture, to know that guy's not right for me or that job is actually good for me when I don't think it is. So sometimes what I've done is I've let go of control and I've handed it to God. I've given the control to the universe. My life is a lot better when the universe is driving rather than when I'm driving. So if there's something that is hurting you, holding you back. Get, like you said and how you teach, get open and honest about it and then ask for help and hand it over. And if you trust, organically, I believe things happen that give you the answers that you're seeking.
1: I I couldn't say it any better. That was a wonderful answer. So as you meet cancer victims now or if you would meet someone who's going... through it, now that you've been through this and the aftermath of it, what advice would you give someone right now if they're if they were just diagnosed?
0: Okay, number one, be kind to yourself and if you don't know how to do that, now is the perfect time to learn. Number two, patience. Don't rush yourself. Don't rush yourself to feel better after a chemo session. Don't rush yourself to be the life of, for your children and everybody. You just do you, and you be honest to you about how you're feeling, and don't put yourself under any pressure. And reach out because there is a tribe out there of people that are feeling the same way as you. And I know social media a lot of the time gets a very bad rap. For me, a lot of the time, because I feel like it deprives people of living. But at the same time, if you're somebody who's just been diagnosed with cancer, you go on Instagram or Facebook and you type in "cancer survivor." we're out there and we want to support each other and you're not alone and yeah be kind to yourself give yourself as much time as you need and reach out and connect to other people
1: okay and then for that same person if they've been through cancer and they reach that point that that you did what would your advice be then you know this person who's searching for for your very book
0: yeah give up the notion of going back to normal just crumple that up and throw that away because your normal's gone. And that sounds terrible. And I know at the time when you finish treatment, you feel like the half the person you were before, but actually you are bigger, better, more beautiful than you were before. You just don't know it yet. You just have to let go of who you were and get to know who you are from the very beginning and then you've got this whole new chapter that can literally blow your minds. And I'm living proof of it.
1: Well, I do have to cut away uh, to a topic that uh, is very meaningful to me. I'm, I'm a huge dog lover. I've got a, a lab at my feet right now. And Barnaby LaFrench was just, he uh, just left the couch. But uh, so it sounds like for you, one of the things that you really like to do is um, hiking and nature walks uh, uh, with your bulldog. And how, you know, for me, it's one of the the most special moments um, and part of my morning routine every single day. And similar to what you said, you know, often people go, you know, you do a three, three and a half mile walk every day with your dog. And I'm like, yeah, it's it's like before I do, you know, pretty much anything else, that's the first thing I do. Um, And I use it as a time of self-reflection. I often listen to other podcasts and other things, but for me, it's also that time that you get to connect with your best, you know, your animal, your best friend um, yeah. and reward both them and yourself. Did you have dogs before or or is this a, a new thing for you?
0: No, this is for my you? favorite topic too, you, by the way. And I'm, I just have to bring him in now. Come here, baby. So This is Barnaby Le French for all the viewers. This is my best friend in the whole world. Taking your dog every morning is like spiritual is, is spiritual practice you know, spending time with a dog who's so innocent and connected to everything is spiritual practice. I've always had French bulldogs. I've had them for about 15 years. I'm obsessed with them because they look like ridiculous bat pigs. And and they got me through the cancer as well. I think as you must know, with, you know, going through what your sister's going through, you know, having your companion by your feet you know, with an unconditional love, my God, there's nothing to it. There's nothing better. And actually Barnaby started writing books as well. Now he's decided that he wants to spread love and light. So he started writing (laughs) children's books.
1: Uh, What what are the books going to be about?
0: They're about a dog that wants to spread love and light all around the world.
1: Oh, well, that's great. And how did you come up with his name?
0: Barnaby LaFrench, because I'm a bit of a kooky creative and I come up with stuff all the time. And I have to say, he's been competing with me on Instagram. He's got his own page and he's been trying to beat me on Instagram. And I think he's actually going to do it because he's far cuter than I am.
1: I'll have to, I will definitely have to look him up on Instagram. Yeah, you
0: have to, absolutely.
1: Well, from that standpoint, if someone wants to follow Barnaby LaFrench or yourself, what are some different ways that people can get in contact with both of you.
0: They're on Instagram it's Saskia.lightstar or Barnaby LaFrench. and then my website is saskialightstar.com. Yeah, if you, anybody just google Saskia Lightstar you'll find me because I'm pretty much make sure I'm everywhere because I'm trying to spread as much love and light as possible. And wherever I am, he's always with me because he's like we're a bit, we're a bit more like ET and Elliot. We're um yeah, we're quite inseparable.
1: That's interesting. Well, you've got a much more unique name than I do. And unfortunately, when you put John Miles in and it's something I've been trying to overcome on social media for decades, uh, there was a rock singer from England named John Miles. He has all the first whenever you go to Google or anything else. So I'm not yeah, sure if but, I will ever. But,
0: no, but I typed in John R. Miles, right? That's what right. you know yourself as, right? And you are up there at the top. You're not John Miles. You're John R. Miles. And there's only one of you.
1: That's why I did
0: it. <laughs> well, you nailed it. You got it. You got the dibs. Nobody else is going to take that one from you. He's he's just boring. John Miles. You're John <laughs> R. Miles.
1: Well, I, I do have a great story. I, my, my dad goes by Jack and uh, his, his name is John. And one day I was having a conversation with them and I go, Dad, why do you go by Jack? And he goes, Who would want to be known as John? And I go, Well, why did you name me John? He goes, Because after me, <laughs> I can't use How Jack that- either because you've already <laughs> used it. I'm like, How does that logic work at all?
0: <laughs> That's funny. Well,
1: well I'm going to end today's session uh, by doing a quick lightning round of, of questions for you. And I would just. Okay ask you to try to, to, to go with it. So for those of us like myself who've never been to South Africa, if there was one thing that you would tell someone to visit when they were there, what would it be?
0: Table Mountain.
1: Okay. What is the biggest difference between someone from the UK and someone from South Africa? Because oftentimes we over here in the States confuse the accents, but uh, you know, having known people from both, I know that there's quite a big difference.
0: Apart from the accents, South Africans are obsessed with braai, which is barbecue, um, and they're a lot more chilled out than the Brits are.
1: Okay. One question I always like to ask is, if you somehow were nominated to be on the mission to Mars, and when you went there, uh, being one of the first people who stepped foot on the planet, you could implement one law, regulation, whatever it may may be, uh, what would you put in place for this new humanity oh. that would be on the planet?
0: Easy. Any form of racism or discrimination of any kind is illegal and punishable by putting them in a cannon and blowing them off the planet.
1: And if there was one person who's meant more to you on this journey than any other who would that be and why
0: Ram Das, who is no longer with us but without doubt was the most beautiful person on the whole planet and I try every day to just try and get this close to how amazing of a human he was
1: okay and on that line if there was someone who you haven't met before whether they're living or deceased who would that be and why
0: Louise Hay to say thank you very much for changing my life
1: okay well that's great well thank you so much for being on the show and you know sharing you know some very deeply personal things about yourself that I think any listener or watcher can learn from because I I think you summed it up very eloquently that you don't have to be at your low point. You could be wherever you are in your life. And the most important thing is to start showing personal kindness to yourself and start making the choice that you can live your life in a different way. So I'm very grateful for your message today. Thank you very much for coming on the show.
0: Thank you so much for having me. I'm very, very grateful that you thought of me and you included me. And thank you for the work that you do, because it's amazing.
1: Okay. Well, thank you very much. That was a tremendous episode with Saskia Lightstar, and she touched on so many aspects of the lessons that I have been trying to unpack all along the way with the Passion Strike podcast. We talked about one of my first episodes that I did, episode four, my first solo Momentum Friday, where I discussed coming to grips with the brutal reality of whatever you're facing in life we also talked about another episode that i did on the concept of the mosquito principle and why conducting a mosquito audit is so important in your life and i'm following up that mosquito audit episode with a requested episode on what do you do when you find that friends or relationship are toxic or you're just outgrowing them And it's another one that you'll want to tune in as well. We then talk about the law of attraction and how putting yourself in the right place with the universe can make such a profound difference on you receiving the life that you want. Another episode that I did where I talked about life through the universe and what it's done to some very prominent people and how it can also impact your life. I was very touched to have Seskia on the show today of hope kindness, and self-love. will touch someone out there. And if you know someone who's going through cancer or might have already been through it, and you find that today's episode can help them, please text them or share the link on social media so that others can be inspired by today's amazing guest. Thank you. And until next time, make a choice, work hard, and continue to step into your sharp edges. Thank you so much for joining us. The purpose of our show is to make passion go viral. And we do that by sharing with you the knowledge and skills that you need to unlock your hidden potential. If you want to hear more, please subscribe to the Passion Struck Podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts at. And if you absolutely love this episode, we'd appreciate a five-star rating on iTunes and you sharing it with three of your most growth-minded friends so they can post it as well to their social accounts and help us grow our PassionStruck community. If you'd like to learn more about the show and our mission, you can go to passionstruck.com where you can sign up for our, our newsletter, look at our tools, and also download the show notes for today's episode. Additionally, you can listen to us every Tuesday and Friday for even more inspiring content. And remember, make a choice, work hard, and step into your sharp edges. Thank you again for joining us.